0: It's Christmas. I really love Christmas. It's, it's one of my favorite holiday seasons. I'm still a big kid. My family will tell you that. I talked last week about the fragrance of Christmas. And we talked about all the different fragrances of Christmas that smell so good. But the most important fragrance of Christmas is you. It's me. It's believers in Jesus Christ. We discovered last week that that's God's desire that we're the aroma of Christ. That everywhere we go, that we should be a reminder. People should smell a little bit of the, of the presence of Jesus. And my challenge last weekend, if you weren't here, and if you weren't, let me encourage you to, to get the message. Either go online and download it or, or go online and listen to it or go to our resource table and get a copy of it. But I gave some very practical suggestions last week of how we can be the fragrance of Christmas. How we can really keep Christmas The message, the reality, the reason for the season in Christmas when so many in our world and our culture are just going about a secular experience. And so, my challenge remains that this month, especially, but you know, always, we should be the fragrance of Jesus Christ wherever we go. So, as you go through this Christmas season, let me encourage you to keep those things in mind Uh, be the fragrance of Christ. Bring Christ back into Christmas in your family, in your workplace, and and wherever God would enable you to do that. Now, this morning, I want to talk about the paradox of Christmas. Now, what's a paradox? I understand that that English is a second language for many of us here today, so what is a paradox? Well, a paradox is a situation in which two seemingly opposite or contradictory circumstances can both be true. It wouldn't seem like they could both be true, but that's what a paradox is. These these conflicting circumstances that are both true at the same time, yet seem to be opposite from each other. And I would present today that that I think Christmas and the Christmas story is the most significant paradox of all paradoxes in human history. So, So what are these two opposing forces That are both true but don't seem like they could possibly coexist together. Well, the first one we see in the Christmas story, in Luke's gospel, chapter 2, verse 8 through 11. Very familiar setting. If we've celebrated Christmas before in a Christian experience, we've all read this passage or heard this passage read over and over again. Beginning in verse 8 says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Think about that. I mean, here's these shepherds out there just doing their everyday thing. And all of a sudden, angels of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were scared, probably just like we would be, wouldn't we? But what the angel said and what he proclaimed to them was this amazing, positive declaration. They say, this is good news. We're bringing you great news. Don't be afraid. This is news that's going to impact everyone. This is going to bring great joy. And we know today that Christmas is a joyful experience, or at least it should be. And yet at the same time, The first nativity was no Christmas. It was no celebration. It was not necessarily filled with joy, and the vast majority of people missed it. They didn't even realize that it had occurred. In fact, for some of the key Christmas characters, that first nativity, that first Christmas was anything but peaceful, anything but joyous. For example, take Mary. For Mary, it was a most inconvenient time in her life to be brought into this, this stage, to be brought into this drama. Mary, a young woman, and it's debated by biblical scholars of how old she was. She, some have her as young as 14 years old. Others would have her in her early 20s. But, but she'd reach that place where, where so many uh, women reach and they get excited about it. She's betrothed to be married and everything is going right and, and, and her life is just rosy out ahead of her. Then we know the story that God sent the angel Gabriel to her. And it's recorded in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 and 28. It says in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. This virgin's name was Mary. The angel set, sent to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, th- th- that starts out joyous. Here, this young girl, is, and an angel of God comes to her, and, and that's not an everyday occurrence, and says, Mary, you are highly favored in the eyes of God. Now, that's joyous. I mean, I, I, what one of us wouldn't be excited if an angel came to us and told us that, huh? And yet, the angel began to reveal circumstances that were a paradox to that joy. So, Mary, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. And, and you'll give birth to that one. And as a Jewish girl, she, she would know what the angel was talking about, about the coming of Messiah. And you're going to give birth to a male child that is going to radically change the world. Mary said, but how can this be? For I'm a virgin. I've never known a man. And the angel says, well, that which will come upon you will be the Holy Spirit of God. Ultimately, Mary said, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. You know, one of the most startling things about that passage that I I picked up on and that, that every time I read it, just jumps out at me, and it says, and then the angel left her. Think about it. The angel didn't go to her mom and dad and say, hey, listen, this is okay. The angel didn't go to the, the chief priests of Israel or, or, or to the leaders of the, the, the priests of her, of her local synagogue. They, they didn't go to the townspeople. The angel didn't appear to any of them. The angel just gave her this amazing, dramatic news, and then left her on her own. To go explain to mom and dad, to go to explain to uncle and aunt, to go to explain to her friends, to go explain to her neighbors that she's pregnant, but that she's not violated any moral laws. Now you know we we, we look back at this story and, and we you know we put all these people on pedestals and things like that and we we celebrate the story. We think how oh, what a wonderful thing, but they were real people living real lives like we live today. Think about your daughter. Think about you as a daughter. Coming with this kind of a story. Well, even Mary didn't quite grasp the significance of it. A little while later, she goes to visit her her cousin Elizabeth, who is now expecting he who would become John the Baptist, the forerunner, that voice of the wilderness declaring, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And she goes to visit, and you know, Elizabeth said, when you first came in, the baby leaped in my womb. And then Mary comes out with a song that today is called The Magnificent, Mary's Magnificent. And in it, she says this, she says, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Look what she says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Now, you know what, that's true. As we look back at this amazing young woman, as we look back at this vessel that God used to bring into our world Jesus Christ, we we love her, and we do call her blessed, but think about it, she never experienced that in her life. Her life would have been constantly filled by the skeptics, by the doubters, by the criticizers, by the gossips. And even this child grew up to be rejected by the entire nation and to be crucified. It was the most inconvenient time for Mary. In the same token, it was the most inopportune time for Joseph. Joseph's the same thing. He's excited. Guys, remember how it was when, when, when we were getting married and, and we finally had, had talked the woman into saying yes? You, you remember how great that was, huh? And it was exciting. We just had the whole life planned out, you know. And we'll have a house and I'll work my job and we'll get furniture as we go and, and, and maybe we'll have some children and this is gonna be amazing. That's what Joseph has. Joseph is excited. He's ready to go. He's betrothed in marriage. And in the Jewish culture, when you got betrothed and the marriages were arranged, there was a year period of time between the time you got engaged to the time you got married. But you were legally married once that marriage was arranged. And the year period for the man was to prepare a house and to make sure he had a job and he could support his new wife when she came in. For the woman, it was a time to, to prove her purity. And now Joseph's world is rocked, as it declares in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. One says this is how the birth of Jesus came about, his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. In fact, she was already legally married to him. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Now, we know that she was found with child through the Holy Spirit. The angel told her she was found with child through the Holy Spirit. But what's Joseph going to say? What's Joseph going to think? And in fact, what he thought was this, being a just man, he was a loving man, and he had three options. Number one, he could have her put to death. Number two, he could divorce her either very publicly or privately, or he could continue and marry her, which would not be the usual option. And in fact, Joseph was considering doing a very loving thing, and he was considering just calling the whole thing off and as quietly and discreetly as possible just divorcing her and putting her away and moving on with his life. See, that's where God did intervene. And we know that, that God did send that same angel in a vision, in a dream to Joseph. And he, and he said to Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because that which is in her is conceived of the Holy Spirit. She's done nothing wrong, Joseph. And so... Matthew 1, 24, 25 says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took home Mary as his wife. Now, now, again, we we, got to understand in that culture, in that day, what that meant. Don't you know Joseph's family would say, what are you thinking? Are you crazy? Don't you know his friends who say, Joseph, she has disgraced you. What are you doing? Get rid of her. If you want to be compassionate, then, then do it discreetly. But, but she has no place. She has dishonored you at the very beginning of your relationship. But he went ahead and he married her. He, step, he stayed married. He had no union with her. It was the whole honeymoon thing. And he gave him the name Jesus. Now, you know, we, we could just roll right over that. But do you understand the significance of the fact that he named his son something other than his name? This, is his, this would be the first son in the family. This is a son to celebrate. This is a son to carry on the legacy, the heritage. This is a, the firstborn that gets a double blessing in the family of any other son born or any other child born. And undoubtedly, as it was with Zachariah, who named John John, instead of a name after him, and people say, No, 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 his name can't be John, it can't be John, it's gotta be Zachariah, it's gotta be Zachariah. And then when Zachariah's tongue was loose, remember this story? It's another amazing story of Christmas. He said, No, his name is John. Same thing. They must have said to Joseph, No, 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 you can't name him Jesus, you can't name him Yeshua. He's your firstborn. For Joseph, it was a most inopportune time. And, you know, we, we look at the life of Joseph, and any plans, any normal plans that he would have made were radically changed. Soon we find him having to leave his family and leave his homeland in the middle of the night because God warns him to get out of the country. Everything is upset. And, you know, after Jesus' 12-year-old appearance in the temple, you notice you never hear of Joseph again. He just slips away into history. It was the most threatening time for Herod. Herod was the appointed king of Judea at that time. Rome was the occupational forces. They were the imperial power of the world. And Rome was smart. They wouldn't impose their leader on people. They would get somebody from among the people. They would empower them to lead, and then they'd just control them from behind the scenes. Well, they chose Herod, who the people hated. They hated for several reasons. Number one was that he wasn't a true Jew. He wasn't an Orthodox Jew. He was a Samaritan. He was considered a half-breed. And second, he was probably one of the most psychotic, murderous maniacs the world has ever known. And you remember the story as recorded in Matthew chapter 2, how the Magi came seeking Jesus, following the star, they came from the east to try to find and, and they finally they, they end up in Jerusalem and, and they end up with Herod and, and they say, hey, hey uh, where's this baby who's born king of the Jews? We've come to worship him. Where can we find him? And Herod says, I, I beg your pardon, who? Who? It says, when Herod heard this, he was disturbed. I'll bet he was. But when you take a murderous, psychotic mind like Herod's. And you say that that mind has been disturbed. You're, you're, you're shooting to a much different level, a much higher plane than you might have ever guessed before. And so what happens? It goes on to say, and all Jerusalem with them. When they heard what happened, Jerusalem panicked. Why? Because Herod did exactly what people anticipated he would do with that kind of a move. He ordered that every baby two years and younger, when he discovered that the wise men had deceived him, they hadn't come back as he had ordered them to do, tell him where the baby was, he ordered the genocide. He ordered the murder of every baby two years and younger from Bethlehem and its vicinity to wipe out this king, to wipe out this threat. And so it was a threatening time for Herod, but it was also a most traumatic time for those parents. Their sons, murdered by their own king. For Jesus, it was a most fateful time for that birth of Jesus that we celebrate today and we sing songs about today and we reenact in Christmas pageants. For Jesus, that started the clock ticking to his ultimate crucifixion. The Bible declares 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive. In the spirit, the birth of Jesus started the clock ticking for his crucifixion. The first nativity was no Christmas. It was no celebration. So, so do you see the paradox in the angel's declaration? Good news, everybody. Good news to the world. An amazing thing has happened tonight. Well, good news from Mary. Wasn't good news for Joseph. Wasn't good news to Herod. Wasn't good news to those parents whose sons were ripped out of their arms and murdered. There's the paradox. How can both of those be true? How could it be such a horrific time for the individuals living that experience and yet be true that the angel's declaration that this is good news for all men for all time? Well, the paradox is answered in the second part of the angel's declaration. says, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. See, that's the answer to the paradox. As horrible as the historical circumstances were, as inconvenient, as inopportune, as threatening, as traumatic as those circumstances were, that was the greatest night of all nights for the Savior of the world came into the world. Now, you know, we, over the course of history and, and in this day of grace, when salvation is such a free and easy thing for us, we've lost the significance of this whole salvation idea. In Hebrews 9, 15, says, For this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins coming into the first covenant. Understand this, that Jesus didn't just merely die on the cross. Jesus became the ransom. See, we were born into sin, and our eternal souls were being held hostage by Satan and by the righteousness of God who can't just wink at sin. He's got to judge sin. And there was nothing we could do to change our situation. We were hostages. And the ransom that was demanded to set us free was the death of God's own son. And beyond that, the book of Romans 8.34 says, Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Not only did he die to pay my ransom, not only did he die to pay your ransom. See, that's the good news. The ransom has been paid and freedom has been granted, we now can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that heaven will be your home and that our sins are forgiven. Why? Because of what Jesus did. Because of that night. That's what the angel was proclaiming. That's the answer to the paradox that now you can be set free. And not only set free, but knowing that we will continue to sin. And we will continue to have periods of our life when we're apathetic towards God. We know that every day that baby born 2,000 years ago sits at the right hand of the Father and he intercedes for us over over and over and over and over and over and over again. I'd say that's good news. How about you? That's the paradox of Christmas.